Song of Solomon chapter 3. And as I mentioned last week, I'm not going to go like in depth in this book because it is very, uh, very, you know, detailed when it comes to sexual intimacy and, and husband and wife and those types of things. I would encourage uh, husbands and wives to study this in depth. You'll be super, super blessed if you do. But what we're doing is we're kind of just going through it in four different studies and just kind of flying through. Last week we went into the, that we were covered the courtship aspect of the relationship, uh, calling, calling it falling in love. Uh, today we're actually going to see the wedding. We're going to see the consummation of the marriage. And so we'll cover chapter 3, verse 6, all the way to chapter 5, verse 1, which is the wedding. Uh, the next time we get together on Song of Solomon, we'll talk about the struggle in the relationship and love, and then finally, the, the growing in love. And so it's, a, it's an awesome book. Uh, when I was thinking about this, you know, for those of you who are single, uh, you really have to have your eyes on the Lord. You really have to make sure that, you know, as we're talking about sexual stuff, and to be honest, like in, in a church, you know, you're like, well, man, are you sure you should talk about that? I mean, obviously, that's where we are in the Bible, and so I'm obligated to. But I know that people see this stuff everywhere. The billboards, I mean, the things that they probably hear at work and all that kind of stuff. It's very difficult not to talk about it. So in one sense, this is the best setting. You know, what does God have to say about this? But you single people, and I don't want to condemn you if you failed. I don't want you to look back and beat yourself up. That's not what God wants. But I do want you to, from this point forward, uh, go look at the Lord and, and be pure. This book is going to talk about that. Last week we talked about how these two were engaged, they were betrothed to be married, uh, and they were thinking, yeah, of course, because they're sexual creatures, you know, about that time, it's going to be special and all that kind of stuff. But they were just saying over and over again, do not stir up love and, until the right time. Don't do that until the right time. And so please, um, I, I pray that you single people would stay pure. We're going to talk about that, how these two, and this is amazing, how they waited on the Lord until they got married. And so when we get there, we're going to talk about people like Tim Tebow and A.C. Green and just the amazing things that people can do um, if they make the Lord their number one passion. Now, talking about sexual intimacy, uh, it is, we also talked about the fact that the book, in one sense, is also a reflection of relationship between God and Israel, uh, we'll say the Father and Israel, and Jesus and his bride. And I was, as I was kind of thinking about this, um, I don't know if you guys can follow me but, uh, on this, but um, this intimacy, this intimacy between a husband and wife is, is what, what we're singing in the Song of Solomon is he wants it to be so deep, so beautiful, so miraculous, so wonderful that I wonder if husbands and wives realize that, realize what is really going on, what God, the inventor of sexual intimacy, what, how, how deep it is and how beautiful it is. And, and so it's that aspect of it. But then I, I do believe that there is that parallel between how God wants us to have that type of intimate relationship with him. Uh, so much deeper, I'll bet, than any of us 
have been living up to this point. I mean, we're talking about, like, for example, when the Bible talks about a man and a woman being together, it says, and, and he knew her. He knew his wife. Well, when someone gets saved, use the same word. He, he knows the Lord when, when you get saved. And there is this intimacy with God that, that, that the Bible says the church, we're the bride, and one day we're going to go to the wedding and we're going to get married, but we experience this love relationship now. And we're getting, you know, of course, not the fullness of it, not until we're home in heaven, but um, I encourage you to strive to get deeper, strive to get closer, strive for this intimacy with God. And so, uh, again, what a beautiful thing to see when we look at this book. Look at chapter 3, Son of Solomon, in, in verse 6. It says, who is this coming? Now, this is the Shulamite. This is the, the bride that is speaking. She, who is this coming out of the wilderness like pillars of smoke, perfumed with myrrh and frankincense, with all the merchant's fragrance powders. Behold, it is Solomon's couch with 60 valiant men around it, of the valiant of Israel. They all hold swords, being expert in war. Every man has his sword on his thigh because of fear in the night. Of the wood of Lebanon, Solomon the king made himself a, a, a palanquin. He made its pillars of silver, its support of gold, its seat of purple, its interior paved with love by the daughters of Jerusalem. Go forth, O daughters of Zion, and see King Solomon with the crown with which his mother crowned him on the day of his wedding. There it is, the day of his wedding, the day of the gladness of his heart. Now, some say verse 6 might be a narrator. Maybe it is. Maybe it's the Shulamite speaking. But, you know, who is this coming out of the wilderness? Like, like pillars of smoke. We're going to see she ends up describing him. It's definitely transitions into her speaking. And, and so if you can visualize a palanquin, you know what a palanquin is, right? It's a seat that's covered, and these guys are all carrying it on, you know, on their way. What are they doing? They're on their way to her house. They're going to pick her up and they're, and they're going to take her to his. They're going to get married, right? And so that's what it is. And so there's this procession, uh, uh, Solomon, and he didn't bring the beat-up vehicle, okay? He brought this amazing palaquin made of the best wood from Lebanon, the gold, the silver, the purple seat, which is speaking of royalty, expensive stuff. You know, um, I remember the first car I picked up my wife in. I feel so bad now that I read this. I was like, whoa, that was a bad car. But, of course, this is talking about marriage. So, so maybe it's a little different. But um, guys, you know, taking their girl out, um, uh, hopefully, you know, it's, it's clean. It smells good, you know, and you think of stuff like that. This is, a, and again, a bigger thing. But, but as he's coming, he's surrounded by these 60 valiant men with, you know, with, with their swords ready to swing. And, and, and it's, so it's this glorious scene. This would be uh, a picture of the Jewish wedding. I, I, you guys know this, right? That the, in the Jewish wedding, uh, the, the bride that's going to get married, she, she knows more or less the season, but she doesn't have a day or a time. 
she knows that eventually her bridegroom's going to come for her. And so there's this kind of like this excitement that, you know, that's, uh, that's aroused. Kind of like us today waiting for the Lord to come, right? Isn't that how it is? We're here, we're waiting for him to come. That's why Matthew 25, that talks about the virgins, some had their oil, some were ready for him, some weren't ready for him. It's kind of like the same thing, right? And so um, as she's there waiting and she sees him now coming, you know, there's these pillars of smoke and you're like, what is that? And that's like the, the incense that's being burned in front of him. Um, it, it smells amazing. I mean, he, this guy, this, this, this groom, he paid attention to details. I mean, we're talking the perfume, the frankincense, the myrrh, the smell, the smoke. I mean, it's, you know, some churches, they'll do smoke machines and stuff like that. I mean, this is like the real stuff, you know. And there's Solomon uh, with his valiant men. Uh, why are the valiant men there, you might wonder, uh, more than likely, these were his friends. These were guys that he could trust. More than likely, they were the best soldiers in Israel. They were there because when he was going to get his bride, he wanted to make sure she was safe. I'm sure it wasn't for him. It, it was for her. And, and that's kind of what guys do, right? They protect. And it's a beautiful thing when you see the glory of it all you know the gold the silver the wood from lebanon uh, isn't it interesting how it says right there in verse 10 that its interior is paved with love by the daughters of jerusalem you know how girls are sometimes you know they're getting ready for their their girlfriend to get married and they're doing their little things and they're kind of decorating and stuff some say that maybe they kind of had their hand in in decorating the whole palanquin there. Um, I think we had some pictures on, you guys saw it. Um, and so um, maybe they, you know, worked on the details there. And all of it is just, all of it is motivated by love, by love. When, when I think of this, I, I think sometimes, Lord, uh, unfortunately, we live in a culture now that in many ways, I almost feel violated. You know, because we in many ways have lost like the beauty of this. You single people, you single people catch this. You getting married, you getting married is just glorious. It is glorious. You know, and, and this guy, he's not just like, oh, okay, honey, you know, you, 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 you uh, organize the wedding and, you know, you do your thing. No, I mean, this guy, he is excited about this. He is he is into this whole thing. You know, he, he allows the girls, because he knows they're going to do a better job, but he's there allowing them to do it, maybe giving input, but all of it is motivated by love. And, and the Lord is just kind of, he sets it up for us right here. You know, nowadays, when you go to a wedding, most of us here are, the guy is looking, waiting for the bride, huh? So we're here, hey, man, is she going to show up? I remember a couple of times, you know, we've done weddings where, man, it, she was late. But in this day, it's the other way around. They're waiting for the groom. And they don't even know when he's going to come. And so now we've gone through the courting. We've gone through that uh, up to this point in Song of Solomon. Now the wedding day comes, even to the point where it says there, in verse 11, go forth, O daughters of Zion, and see King Solomon with the crown, 
with which his mother crowned him. Not, not the count, crown for a king, but the crown for a husband. The day of the gladness of his heart. I'll bet you anything. And you guys who are married, you know, when you really get your marriage centered on the Lord, I mean, there's no position, there's no king, there's no president, there's no nothing that is more important or more wonderful or beautiful or loving or satisfying than that of you getting married. And that's the crown that his mom put on him. And so it's a beautiful thing to see this whole glorious um, wedding taking place. You know, Warren Wiersbe said, today's Christians would see in this a reminder of the coming of the King of Kings to claim his bride, the church. And so we read in chapter 4, in verse 1, it says, this is the beloved, this is the bridegroom as he arrives. And, and you know, I don't know, maybe there's more to it. It's hard to figure out the exact details of where they're located. Some say that they're already together now. All I know is that he sees her. Look at verse 1, and he says, Behold, you are fair. Now, we talked about this last time. We're not talking about her being fair and Yahtzee, right? We're saying she's beautiful. That's what he's saying. Behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. And he says it three times as we're going to go through here. Just She just keeps telling her, you're beautiful. You have dove's eyes behind your veil. Your hair is like a flock of goats going down from Mount Gilead. Now, you might think that's weird, but wait, you'll see. Your teeth are like a flock of shorn sheep which have come up from the washing, every one of which bears twins, and none is barren among them. Your lips are like a strand of scarlet, and your mouth is lovely. Your temples behind your veil are, are like a piece of pomegranate. Your neck is like the Tower of David, David built for an armory on which hang a thousand bucklers, all shields of mighty men, your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle, which feed among the lilies. Until the day breaks and the shadows flee away, I will go my way to the mountain of myrrh and to the hill of frankincense. And so we're going to see the exchange of, of just... Um, Things that they see, and they're not just, you know, talking. I mean, this is coming from the heart. He's looking at her, and like with my daughter, like, and I'm sure all of you guys would feel the same way. Like, all I want is someone who really loves her. Someone who really loves him. Someone, I, I think that they got to be saved in order to have that kind of love, Right? And so this guy looking at her, we're going to see her looking at him. There's no doubt about it that it's look, they're looking at each other through lenses of love and lenses of grace. I mean, no one is perfect. There's no one who's perfect in, in it, you know, the body and the emotions and all that kind of stuff. But when you look at them through the lenses of the Lord, they are. Now, of course, this is a young younger uh, gal and, and i bet you there's a lot of this that's pretty much you know right like he's talking about i mean she's just you know beautiful and and her, her notice it says that she has dove's eyes and we have all this poetic praise here and uh and so last week we saw that a dove has binocular vision meaning that both eyes are used synchronously to produce 
a single image. And more than likely, what that is in reference to is that he has or she has this undistracted devotion. Uh, the doves are mentioned uh, uh, six times in the book of Song of Solomon. And so we talked about how doves are monogamous, how they uh, stay together their entire life. Uh, they're related to the lovebirds. And so it's definitely something that we see uh, as applicable. Um, one theologian said, when a dove fixes its gaze upon its mate, it's not distracted by any activities around it. And so that's good for us, I think, as, as husbands and, and wives. You know, where um, I don't know. I mean, just let's do our best to really pay attention to our spouse. I mean, there's a million other things that we could get engaged in. I mean, you know, the basketball game's on or you whatever. You've got a hundred text messages that you're supposed to hopefully answer eventually or emails or you name it. There's responsibilities around the house. And before you know it, one day, another day, and then another day. And, you know, you end up going through periods of time where there hasn't really been these dove's eyes with the undistracted devotion, conversation, communion, love for each other. And he's seeing it right away. Now, there's, there's no doubt that she also has these eyes that are attractive and, and beautiful. I remember when my, my wife's eyes, big old brown eyes with the white around it. And I was like, wow, those, you know, I saw that in her. So there's a lot to it. Um, but when we see, as he's describing her, you know, I mean, he just he just looks what, at all the different, you know, parts of his bride. You know, your your eyes, your hair, you know, like flocks of goat. And so it refers to the beautiful way that, you know, her hair just flows down. And, you know, the Bible talks about it, the hair being like the glory of the woman. And so some guys, uh, they don't even notice. You know, they don't even notice. Um, but they should, you know, look at how beautiful, you know, her hair is, you know, you make those types of compliments, your teeth, they're, they're, you know, side by side, um, none missing. Imagine if she was a bride had a missing tooth. I mean, I mean, you probably still can love her, but I'm just saying in her case, they were white side by side, none missing. Uh, in those days, in ancient uh, times, they didn't completely understand again, dental hygiene. So this is an admirable trait. Her lips are scarlet. They're outlined just right. Her mouth is lovely. We'll talk more about that later. Uh, her temples. Now, I was thinking, Lord, that's kind of weird. But um, there was something about the way that her face was formed. And even more than likely when it refers to the temples, it also refers to the cheeks. And so her cheeks were sweet like and, and rosy like a pomegranate. And so... I don't know, like some guys will, will hear stuff like this and they'll be like, what's up with that? that? Well, I mean, that's weird stuff. But then some of the girls would be like, oh, I wish my husband would talk to me like that. I, I remember, you know, again, trying to cultivate this more, but in the beginning writing these crazy poetic cards, you know, to her and my wife. All I can say is I think for the most part, girls like that kind of stuff. And, and guys, this, this guy right here understood it. And he kind of teaches us that, you know, to, to give those compliments, but not just random and not just vague and not just general, but specific things that you can see and compliment her in. And I think, of course, it works both ways. You know, her neck being as the Tower of David, a um, couple of views on that. 
kind of like a, maybe a royal neck. I don't know if that's possible. You guys can see it. You know, but just every feature of her, he was complimenting, good posture maybe. Um, Warren Wiersbe talks about that. Um, another commentator mentions the fact that, you know, when you look at the palaces, even if today you go to Israel, you would still see one of the towers of David. And so those towers would have those shields all attached to it. And the custom of hanging shields on the tower was symbolic of the warrior's allegiance and uh, to the king and the valor for that country. And so uh, more than likely, this refers to uh, the way that her neck, uh, it emphasized uh, not just her beauty, but it made a statement about her as a person. And so, again, a queenly bearing, uh, appearing as awesome, majestic as uh, King David's tower. And so last week we talked about how she was compared to like a, a choice chariot, you know, or Mustang or something, you know. And so, um, so that was kind of like the guy's contribution to it, huh? But, but all I know is that he's just looking at her. Look at your eyes. Wow. Look at your hair. It's so beautiful. I remember, I told you guys this. One time I had a dream that I was dying, okay? Chris, yeah, we've all had dreams, right? And I remember, it was a weird dream, and I can't tell you all the details. I just remember being on the staircase, and the Lord said, okay, it's time for you to go home. And I remember I looked down, and there was my wife, and I just started crying, man, because she was so beautiful. The Lord was showing me her, how beautiful she is. And when you guys get together, and you get your husband, and you get your wife, that's how you have to see them. See them for just how beautiful they are. Really, and I can't, uh, there's none that are not beautiful, especially as husbands look at them through the lenses of the Lord. Look at your eyes, appreciate the different features of it, and then the hair, and then whatever, the, the, the teeth, and the, and the cheeks, and the lips, and the mouth, and uh, as he's there excited, uh, things are building up, things are building up for the consummation of the marriage. It mentions the breasts, uh, fawns, twins of a gazelle, feeding among the lilies. And we know, according to the scriptures, that these are given to husbands and wives to enjoy each other. We see that in verse 5 and verse 6 also. Um, notice again, if you would, uh, verse uh, 5, it says your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle, which feed among the lilies. And some say, well, it has in reference to the, the color, but most commentators say it's in reference to just the, the, the softness. Um, uh, verse 6, until the day breaks and the shadows flee away, I will go my way to the mountains of myrrh and to the hill of frankincense. And so the mountain and the hill um, again, most commentators are saying that those are in reference to her breasts as well. And so, you know, the, the soft coat, um, Solomon wanted his bride to know that he saw that gentle beauty and it kindled his desire for her and he wished to express that desire uh, with his caresses. And I know this is going to sound weird, uh, but imagine if you could get close to a, a, a twin gazelle. Imagine if you could get close to like, you know, this deer in the fields or whatever. Um, if it lets you, if it lets you, there's something about that, right? Wouldn't that be so? So now a husband is with his wife, right? It's just it's there. She's for him and no one else. 
And I don't want you guys to go sideways on this. I don't want you single guys to start thinking stuff as far as, you know, if you love God, then you're going to wait for him to do the work. But when he does, and when he does, when it's God, you know, understand that um, as you're there and allowed to now whatever, touch. You know, you, the other day we went to help someone move and she had these two little puppies and I'm like, man, they're so beautiful. I mean, these are like $5,000 dogs and so they allowed us to pet them and stuff. That's kind of what he's saying there. And it's just something that you appreciate all night. You know, and I think sometimes, believe it or not, even when you get married, you can forget stuff like that. You know, I, we got to know this. Proverbs 5, uh, we don't have time to go there, but when you read Proverbs 5, it just talks about the same thing, and it says that, that let your wife satisfy you. Let your wife satisfy you. I, I want to just exhort you guys, exhort you men, to not look at things you shouldn't be looking at. You know, we have to make sure we have purity, clean hands, our eyes on the Lord, because it'll ruin you. It'll ruin you. It'll destroy your life. When God puts two people together, it's God. It's not you. You can't be forcing people. You have to wait on the Lord. And when the Lord does it, it's such a beautiful thing. You know, so he's mentioning all the different features and there's probably even more. Like I tell my wife, your feet are beautiful. I want to, you know, whatever, you know, touch them. And she's all, no, no. And, you know, I think they are. You'll see that. You'll see that. Her, everything, the skin, I mean, it's just so amazing. So you get that point, right? Look what he says in verse 7 again. You are all fair, my love, and there is no spot in you. Come with me from Lebanon, and so more than likely she was from Lebanon, northern Israel area. Come with me from Lebanon, my spouse. Now he's going to call her spouse over and over again. With me from Lebanon. Look from the top of Amana, from the top of Senor and Hermon, from the lion's den, from the mountains of the leopards. You have ravished my heart, my sister, my spouse. You have ravished my heart with one look of your eyes, with one link of your necklace. How fair is your love, my sister, my spouse. How much better than wine is your love and the scent of your perfumes than all spices. Your lips, O oh my spouse, drip as the honeycomb. Honey and milk are under your tongue and the fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance of Lebanon. And so, again, he's complimenting her, and they're, they're, they're building towards the moment, if you guys can understand that. You know what I'm saying? Like, when you get married, and again, maybe we should kick all the single people out. I'm sorry, but you guys are here. So you're gonna, this is the Bible. I'm sure you've read it. But, you know, when you get married, you don't just, you know, run to it. No, there, is, there, is, there should be more to it. And so they're just they're speaking these things, they're noticing, they're appreciating, they're, 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 they're kissing. We're going to see it's a beautiful thing. I mean, this intimacy that God has given to us is just absolutely amazing, you know? I mean, again, he says you're beautiful, there's no, there's no spot in you. 
And like I said earlier, sometimes even when you look at what might be a weakness in your spouse, you realize, well, that's exactly what I need. I mean, that's just the way it works. I mean, my wife's not perfect, but she's the perfect one for me. There's no doubt about it. And you are going to see that when God puts you together. There's no spot in you. Not only that, when you look at it with Christ in the church, that's what the Bible says. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might present her to himself, having no spot, no wrinkle, but glorious without blemish. And so that's the way we're going to see. This is also, I think, Jesus and his church. You guys, I don't think we realize how deep, how intimate, it is between husband and wife, and I don't think we realize how deep and how intimate it is between us and Jesus. It is just so much deeper than I think we realize. And the Lord, he says, no spot. It's all washed away. Come with me. You know, and I even think of the Lord inviting people to get saved. You know, come with me. At the end of the day, that's all it is. Will you marry me? Yeah. You know, and then we come, we're his spouse. Come with me, my, my spouse from Lebanon. Then he mentions Amana and Senur and Hermon. These are all mountain regions on the northern portion of Israel. And uh, it's interesting because more than likely she's from this area. And, uh, and so when he says right here, look from the top of these locations, it's an interesting uh, thing. We don't know for sure, uh, you know, 100%, but a lot of people believe that what he's asking her to do is to get a good look on when they fell in love. You know, look what he says. Look from these places. Verse 9, you have ravished my heart, my sister, my spouse. You have ravished my heart with one look of your eyes, with one link of your necklace. And I tell you what, I can go to the mountains, I can go up to the top, and I can still remember the first time I saw her. And a lot of guys, and again, it's not all clear. Maybe it's not one day for you. Maybe it's a season. But never forget that. You know, you go up and you get that perspective. Oh, yeah. And especially as Christians, you know, where it's not just, you know, so-and-so hooked you up or they introduced you or it was a coincidence. I mean, this was God bringing us together. And when I saw her, for us, for me, I mean, right away, she captured my heart. She ravished my heart. The Hebrew word is an interesting word. It actually means, it talks about um, um, the, the heart just beating like crazy. And it's a combination of capturing and ravishing, and my heart's beating so fast because I love you so much. I mean, when God does that, and so you look back, the lion's den and the, and the mountain of leopards, some say that that might even be in reference to other relationships that this individual had before that were not nice. And now you're looking, and it's like, look at what God has done. When God brings a, a godly man and a godly woman together, it is just a miracle. It's so beautiful. You know, verse 10, how, how fair is your love, my sister, my spouse? How much better than wine is your love? You know, I, I think of all the people that, that get drunk now, all the people that get high, all the people with hard liquor, all that kind of stuff, you know, and they're using the, what is, you know, the superficial you know, happiness all they need is love. 
And when you get into a marriage relationship, you know, it's not just, well, I'm waiting for them to love me and then I'm going to enjoy it. No, it's just when you just start loving, you just start loving on them. And then it's so amazing how that pays dividends. It's way better than any high, than any drunkenness and all the weed. I mean, this what we're talking about right here is something that God wants to give to us. It's just so beautiful, better than wine. And, and it's interesting to me, don't you guys think how even the Lord in John chapter 2, the very first miracle that he ever did, he performed at a wedding and, you know, he turned the water to wine and the, the steward came out and said, wow, you guys are amazing, man. Usually they do the cheap wine at, at the end of the thing when everyone's drunk, but you have brought something out that is just the best. It's better than any other wine I've ever had. See, that's what God, through Song of Solomon, I think, is trying to say that our marriages can be. You know, if husband and wife, if they begin to catch that vision. You know, if there's the romance, there's the agape, there's the phileo, there's all the different forms of love. And you're like, well, why do I have to be the first one to change? I, I don't know how all that works, but I will say, if you do, you watch what happens, God will bless you know, it says right here, your, your love and the scent of your fumes and all spices, it's, it's better than wine. Your, your lips, oh my spouse, they drip as the honeycomb. Honey and milk are under your tongue and the fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance of Lebanon. You know, the, the spouse, the sister, you know, some say that in ancient uh, Israel, the sister was a common term for a love partner. Um, but more than likely, for those of you guys who read the context or grid of the Bible, we're talking about a believer. We're talking about she's your sister because you're both Christians. And you guys know, 1 Corinthians talks about this, 2 Corinthians, how um, we can't have fellowship with a non-believer and so it's a beautiful thing well she's my spouse but over and again over and over again she's my sister in the lord and, and if that's not there if the fellowship is not there then the most important part of your life cannot be shared with the so-called most important person in your life because this is spiritual and so she, she's a spouse, she's a sister. These are all things that we need to take into consideration. And then when he talks about honey and milk are under your tongue, uh, I'm sorry, but you know, what he's saying right there is that the, the French people didn't invent the French kiss, if you know what I mean, you know? You got the mouth, you got the lips, you got the tongues. And like we talked about last time, under even under the tongue, like we talked about last time, um, a lot is in the kiss. There's a lot. Now, we did establish in the first study that it wasn't just looks. It wasn't just that kind of stuff. It was character. But here we see the appreciation of all these things. You know, we see then it moves into the actual consummation of the marriage. In verse 12, it says, A garden enclosed is my sister, 
my spouse, a spring shut up and fountain sealed. Your plants are an orchard of pomegranates with pleasant fruits, fragrant henna with spikenard, spikenard and saffron, calamus and cinnamon with all trees of frankincense, myrrh and aloes, with all the chief spices, a fountain of gardens, a well of living waters, and streams from Lebanon. So nowadays, you know, we can probably light a candle, we can spray some perfume or cologne or whatever. Um, But back then, it wasn't as easy, you know? So they had all this involved. And what I was reading is that they were just getting all the sensory perceptions. You know, you are like engaged in this. You are engaged in this gift of God. You know, that's why, you know, sexual intimacy is so holy. It's so holy. It's so, such a God thing. That's why when you read the Old Testament, you find that they had a lot of the sexual practices connected to idolatry. Because it is so holy. And of course, the enemy would want to pervert these things. A garden enclosed is a virgin. And th- that's what he's saying here. You know, you're a spring shut, a fountain sealed. You know, that she saved herself for him. And it's so important that we have this. You know, I, I uh, like I said earlier, all the, the sexual things that we see all the time nowadays and the way that many times how sexual expectations are like, well, I'm only human. Um, I feel almost violated because when you read the Bible, it's just so beautiful when you wait. Uh, I'm going to tell you real quick because I know we don't have a lot of time, but um, I was reading about A.C. Green because some people say, well, I can't wait. I mean, here's a guy, A.C. Green. Do you guys know who he was? Well, some of you guys are too young. 1995, he was drafted into the, the lake on the Lakers and uh, he came onto a team with Magic Johnson. And just to, I'm sorry if you like Magic Johnson, but I got to tell you, that guy was lasciviousness uh, uh, encapsulated. I mean, that's who he was. He would play a game, go have sexual intimacy, and then go to his interview. He would have orgies in his mansion. He would have his players come and, you know, co-workers or whatever, other friends. And literally, they would be in the house and uh, he would say, everybody has to do this tonight, everybody here. And at midnight, he would go and he would check on everybody just to make sure that they were doing that. I mean, it's just crazy. Now, he was after A.C. Green. He was trying to get him to fall. I mean, they had a pool going. They had bets going. They sent, you know, women scantily dressed in his direction. But A.C. Green, for 17 years as a basketball player, he stayed pure. I mean, it's so amazing. Tim Tebow, similar story. I think Tim Tebow, he was 32 when he got married. I think A.C. Green was 38. But, you know, I mean, for us, you guys, don't, Look to the standards of the world. This is beautiful. And just in case you're here and you've fallen, 
you know, I know like even before you become a Christian, then when you do become a Christian, all things become new. So God sees you that way. All I'm saying, not to look back, but for us as a church to look forward. And then you, you know, you go to this moment. And what it is, is just a beautiful thing of all these spices and this garden almost reminds us of the Garden of Eden in one sense. And so we read in verse 16 of chapter 4, Awake, O north wind, and come, O south, blow upon my garden, that its spices may flow out. Let my beloved come to his garden and eat its pleasant fruits. See, and that's her and that's him consummating the marriage. And it's a beautiful thing. It really is. I, I believe with all my heart the key to life is making sure that our re- personal relationship is right with God. And then if you're a single person, he will bring your future wife or husband to you. He will do it. You won't have to step out in the flesh. It will happen. God will bring it to pass. And when he does, stay pure. And then you watch what God does in this beautiful love relationship for the rest of your life. For us as a church, I know we have this with Jesus. And, I, and you get satisfied with that. And God gets glorified when we do. And so we read in verse 1, the beloved says, I have come to my garden, my sister, my spouse. I have gathered my myrrh with my spice. I have eaten my honeycomb with my honey. I have drunk my wine with my milk. That's why a lot of spouses call their spouse honey. That's why it says right there. And so last, last verse, look at verse 1b. It says, eat, O friends, drink, yes, drink deeply, O beloved ones. Who do you think is speaking right there? Because remember, they just consummated the marriage and, you know, the garden and all that kind of stuff. It just happened right now. And now there's a closing comment. Eat, O friends, drink, yes, drink deeply, O beloved ones. Most commentators believe that's God. That's God saying to this married couple, enjoy this gift that I've given to you. And make sure that when you're there, you're not just like some superficial thing. This is truly a beautiful gift that God has given to husbands and wives. And I want to say the same thing to us as Christians. You know, I was reading today, and we we have the worship team come up. I was reading today about how Hezekiah was praying because Jerusalem was surrounded by uh, the Assyrian army. And um, I, was, uh, I was, you know, tripping out the way that Hezekiah, do you guys remember the story? He tore his clothes. He had sackcloth. He put sackcloth on. And, uh, and, and, he, and he went into the temple to seek the Lord and he prayed. And, and, I, and I was thinking, okay, Lord, tearing clothes is one thing. Going to the temple is one thing. Praying is one thing. But the sackcloth thing, the sackcloth thing, I don't know about that. And so if you've ever tried on sackcloth, I mean, it is so, so 
uncomfortable. It is the most miserable. It is so uncomfortable. And then the Lord just, he convicted me. He said, you know what? How many times do you serve me in a way that's just comfortable? It's just convenient. Well, if it doesn't fit into my schedule, whatever it is, if it's not smooth, then I'm not going to do it. And God is saying, is that the type of commitment that wears sackcloth? No. I mean, when it comes to serving the Lord and being all in and seeing us in a situation today in which the church is surrounded by the Assyrians, I think we're going to have to deepen this relationship to a point that I'm willing to do anything for Jesus. Not just, is it convenient? Is it comfortable? Does it really work out in my schedule? I think we have to have this deep and it's a beautiful thing it really is and so i encourage you guys in this um i pray that we would have this intimacy with the lord and for those of you who are married start now intimacy with your spouse and for those of you who are not married you wait until that day you can look forward to it like these guys did in the early chapter